A couple uh, little announcements to make. You want to remember that next week is daylight saving time. So now I've warned you, and so if you're not here, it's your fault. And you'll get a tardy note, and a letter will go to your parents. And uh, also, um, next week is the men's breakfast. And so we have a sign-up sheet out there, and uh, because uh, Frank and I make the men's breakfast, we need to know how many are coming. And so make sure you put your name in the sign-up sheet. It's a great time for the guys to get together, talk about the things of God, and uh, just have fellowship with other men. And um, so that's all I have for announcements, right? Okay. Uh, We want to remember um, Jill's uh, dad in prayer, Jill Pumpman's dad, and uh, he is... Um, in a very difficult place physically, and uh, he needs to know Jesus. And so let's really keep him in prayer. And also our our brother Joey, Diana, and, uh, you know, his his mom always sits over here, Diane, Diana. And as you all know, we've been praying for him because he needs to have a uh, liver transplant. And uh, he was found unconscious on, on his floor because his blood pressure went so low, and so they had to take him to the hospital and so uh, his mom uh, put on the prayer chain that he would be able to get a bed at Strong Memorial. And what was an hour later, he had a bed at Strong Memorial. And so now we have to be praying that a, um, um, a liver would become available for him to have a transplant. So let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for the fact that you're the God of love who loves us even when we're unlovable. And Lord, we pray, Father, that you would just pour out your love on us as a body, as a fellowship. Use the message this morning to encourage us and draw us closer to you. And Father, we pray specifically for Jill's dad, Jerry, and we ask, Father, that this would be the day of his salvation, that you would work a miracle, and today would be the day that he would commit his life to you, and he would have eternal life. This life would just be a byproduct of the new life you've given him. And Father, we think of our brother Joey, and, and we're so thankful that he uh, has the better strong memorial. And now we ask, Father, that you would uh, find a, a, a liver for him, that he might be able to have the transplant that he so desperately needs. And we pray, Lord, that whoever the donor would be, that person would be a believer as well. And Father, we thank you for the very fact that you have given us eternal life, not because of any worthiness in our own part, but because you're worthy and because of your love. And so now, Father, come and minister to us, I pray, in Christ Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, it's interesting that uh, Friday night we had our first, and, and if you missed it, don't feel bad, because we're, we are going to do it every couple months now, but we had our first uh, uh, fellowship night where we just came, brought something to share, and we just talked about questions we had concerning the Lord. And one of the questions that was asked Friday night was, um, why did God create us? I mean, you really think about it. We end up becoming such a pain. <laughs> you know, why did he create us? And, um, of course, none of us really knows the full answer, but we know he is our heavenly father. And one of the things I was thinking about is, why do we have children? We know they're going to be a pain. <laughs> But we love them, and and hopefully through our encouragement and instruction, they're going to end up doing well in life, right? And God is love, and his love is so beyond what we can even understand that for some reason he desired to create a people for the very express purpose of loving him. And so we realize now as believers that the very purpose that we have in life is to love him, to be in fellowship with him. 
And we have to understand that our relationship with God is not religion. You know, it, 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 you know when people say, I'm religious, I want to say, I'm not. Because the reality is, it's all about relationship. Religion is man-made. In fact, we're going to be talking about this in a moment. The problem the children of Israel had is they were crying out to God for a religion. And God wanted to simply have relationship with them. And realize that the children of Israel were called of God for the purpose of taking the good news throughout the world. And they ended up becoming you know, somewhat exclusive. But through the children of Israel, through the tribe of Judah, the Lord brought forth a Messiah, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, our Lord. He saves. And he came into the world that we might be filled with his Holy Spirit, born again, loving him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And because of that love, and because of that knowledge of who he is, we are compelled in our heart, we should be, to share our faith with everyone we come in contact with. Because here's the reality. Hell is real. Jesus talked about hell more than any other person in the Bible. And if someone is not born again, it doesn't make any difference. You know, say, oh, they were such a nice person. Well, the reality is no one's nice. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We might be nice in certain personality ways and so forth. And so the reality that we all have to face is that without Jesus Christ, our only destination is hell. And people say, well, why would a loving God send anyone to hell? A loving God isn't sending anyone to hell. That's what we deserve. That's what we, in our own sin, have, have uh, laid out before us. But God in his love sent a way that we can be taken away from hell and go to heaven. And his name is Jesus. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone. Not a select few, not a certain you know, population group. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so you and I have that responsibility. Every one of us have been called to the ministry of evangelism. There are certain ones that are evangelists, but all of us have been called to the ministry of evangelism. That means we share our faith. Do you understand? And I'm not trying to put anyone on a guilt trip. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to put some heavy load on you. But you understand, all the people that we know, all the people that we love, if they're not born again, hell is eternal. You know, you read in Scripture where the rest of them were thrown into the lake of fire, where their mourning and moaning and groaning is going to be, held for, be heard forever and ever. But for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, we escape that. But we're so caught up in the physical. Do you understand that? We always think of life in relationship to the physical. But the reality is that our physical life, number one, is very short. Your life is but, and James says, your life is but a mist that appears for a moment and then vanishes. Like you spray an aerosol, there it is, then it's gone. But we have to realize that he's given us also a soul and spirit. Soul is our human personality. It's the essence of who we are. It's our self-identity, which we never lose. When you go to heaven, you still have your self-identity. You're not going to get to heaven and say, gee, who am I? You're going to get to heaven, you're going to know exactly who you are. But then our soul is our, our personality, but our spirit is that which communes with the Lord, has that oneness of fellowship with him. You want to read about communing with the Lord, you know, go into the scriptures when uh, John is taken up before the throne of God and you have the 24 elders and the four living creatures casting their crowns before the Lord and just praising him, you know, day and night. 
That's what our spirit longs to do. And so this body is very temporary. It's very temporary. And yet we spend so much time trying to care for the body and the things of this life that we forget about the things of the life to come. Now understand, I'm not talking about all of us becoming ascetics and going off in some kind of a cave or monastery and hiding ourselves away from the world and just spending the rest of our time in prayer. That's not what God desires of us or commanded us to do. He wants us to live our lives, and he wants us to do... Here's the thing. It makes no difference what God has called you to do for a living, okay? It makes no difference. But here's the thing. You should do it to the best of your ability. Because that's our testimony to the Lord. But one day we're all going to be with the Lord. And when we read this portion that we're going to be looking into uh, in just a moment, here in Numbers chapter 13, by the way, Numbers 13, starting with verse 1, it's about the fact that the children of Israel didn't trust. That's what we're going to find out as we get into the teaching. But we have to realize that God has called us to trust in him. If you want to be useful, if you want to be useful, useful for the Lord, you have to trust in him. And uh you know, I'm not trying to get off in some weird tangent, but it's just like um you know, when I had my heart attack and I had to go in and have stints put in, I had to trust that surgeon. You know what I'm saying? Can you imagine if I went in and said, wait, wait, I don't trust you. you know, I'm concerned. You know, you know, wait, wait. You know, I would have died. And so there, come, there, come, there comes times in our life that we have to trust other people. But how much more should we always trust the Lord? Because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our life's but a mist. It only is here for a short time. How many of you even know who your great-great-great-grandparents were? I mean, if, you, if you've done a genealogical study, you do. But most of you don't even know. And yet they were real living, breathing, viable people just like you are, but their, their physical life is gone. We, we don't even know who they are. We don't even remember them. But the reality is that they had an eternal soul and spirit as well. And their decision that they made in this life determines where that is where their spirit and soul will spend, well, their soul would be dead. I mean, their spirit would be dead, but their soul would be, um, in all, for all eternity, separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so we have to realize that our usefulness to the Lord is based on trusting him. Because without the Lord, we'll run away from grasshoppers, but with the Lord, we'll kill and slay giants. Do you understand that? Without the Lord, you're going to run away from grasshoppers. We're like grasshoppers in our sight. Frank's going to get into that in the second service. But we can slay giants like David. And if we really trust in the Lord. So we're in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy. And the Hebrew word there for spy is tor. It really means to search out. So it's not like clandestine spies wearing dark glasses and hats going into the land. They're going to, to search out the land to see what it was like and, and, and so forth. The land of Cana, <clears throat> which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. And, and so this wasn't talking about the top guy, what we would call the prince of each tribe. But it was a leader, a, a very renowned leader that was supposed to go into the land. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according uh, to the command of the Lord. All of them, men 
who were heads of the children of Israel. Now these were the names, these were their names, from the tribe of Reuben, Reuben Shemoah, the son of Zachar. Now, uh, I'm not going to read all the names because, as you can see, uh, they're, they're pretty, not all of them. And from the tribe of Simeon, uh, Shaphat, the son of Horai. From the tri- I am going to read them. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, the son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Peltai, the son of Raphu. And from the tribe of Zebulun, uh, Gadiel, the son of Sodai. And from the tribe of Joseph, that is, from uh, the tribe of Manasseh. Remember, Joseph, when they first went into the promised land, he had his, his two sons. Um, you know, Ephraim and Manasseh uh, were the tribes that represented Joseph. But in reality, they came from Joseph. That's why it says um, from the tribe of Manasseh. Remember, Manasseh was one of his sons. Uh, from the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, uh, Gadai, the son of Susai. And from the tribe of Dan, Emmael, the son of Gamali, and from the tribe of Asher, Sethur, the son of Michael, and from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabide, the son of Vophashai, and from the tribe of Gad, Geoel, the son of Malchai. And these are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, now listen to this, Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. And so we say, where's Joshua in here? Well, it's Hosea. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and he said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up uh, to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land um, uh, they dwell in is, is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, or whether there is a, uh, there are fortresses or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob uh, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and they came to Hebron and Ahiman and Shishai and Talamiah the descendants of Anak were there. Now, descendants of Anak were probably also the um, progenitors of Goliath. These were literally, they were literally giants. Um, now, Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. And you might be thinking, why is that in there and you have it in the little, you know, uh, quotation or whatever those are called, those little round lines. <laughs> I can't remember what they're called. But why are they in there? Why is that in there? Because Egypt always bragged that they were the oldest city in the world, that they were the first city. And so he, he brings out, he says, no, he says uh, seven years before Egypt was zoned. Then they came to the valley of Ishkol, and they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two men, two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Ishkol because of the clusters. Now, the word Ishkol means clusters of grapes, <laughs> so pretty easy name, which the men of Israel uh, cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now, we're going to find, as we look at this, most of the names that we look at 
in this long list of names, uh, are not familiar with us. But two are. And who are they? Joshua and Caleb. Now, what is the difference? Joshua and Caleb were faithful to the Lord. They trusted the Lord. They believed the Lord. They were men of faith. And so they were remembered. They were remembered by us. And the other ten didn't trust the Lord. And we don't even know who they are. I mean, we read their names here, if you can read them. We read their names here, but we don't know who they are. You know, they're, they're nobodies to us. And so we have to realize the only value we have in this life, brothers and sisters, is trusting and believing the Lord and fulfilling whatever call he's put on our life. What has he called you to do? Do it. Now, we also find here that Moses renamed Hosea. By the way, the name Hosea means deliverer. He renamed Hosea to Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. And by the way, that's the real name of Jesus. Yeshua is the Hebrew way of pronouncing Joshua. And what it means is Jehovah saves. Not just deliver. I mean, we can be delivered from a lot of things. You can be delivered from debt. You can be delivered from a difficult situation. You can be delivered from a lot of things. But only Jehovah saves. Only Jehovah saves our soul. And so Hosea, deliverer, was changed to Yeshua, Jehovah saves. And Jesus Christ came into the world as, as the embodiment of Jehovah saves. God saves. It's just so amazing when you think about how loving our God is. Now, what does he save us from? Problems? Well, sometimes. But the Lord's desire isn't to save us from our problems. The Lord's desire isn't to save us from any financial difficulties we have. The Lord isn't to, the, you know, his main desire isn't to save us from physical ailments that we might have. The Lord's desire is to save our souls to save us from sin and death. That's his desire. There are people who come to know Jesus Christ and have serious illnesses and even die from it. Does that mean that Jehovah didn't love them, that God doesn't love them? Absolutely not. Because we have to take our mind away from thinking everything is physical and look to the eternal. Do you know that one day we're all going to be standing before the throne together, brothers and sisters, I mean, read Revelation. We're going to be standing before, before the throne, and we're going to be just praising God. Uninhibited. No difficulties. Glorified bodies. Nothing holding us back. Just praising God together. Can you imagine how wonderful and awesome that's going to be? Forever, we're going to be praising the Lord. It's just, just a blessing. Because the thing is that so often, if we only desire to be delivered from our problems, we really lose sight of our relationship with God. Because it's not about our problems, it's not about our difficulties, it's about our soul. But so many people, when they pray, oh, I want to be delivered from this, I want to be delivered from that, help me with this, help me with that, take care of this problem, take care of that problem, maybe the Lord won't do it. You know, God is so amazing. I, I'm going to tell you a you know, little personal testimony. Some of you probably have heard this. But when the Lord called Vi and I into the ministry, our first uh, ministry was at the Onondaga Indian Nation. And uh, we're, we were, uh, I was the missionary pastor at the church on Onondaga Nation. 
And in fact, the church I was at was built in 1825. It was the oldest work on the Onondaga Nation, uh, Christian work. And so we went there, and uh, I went from probably the best-paying job I had ever had in my life to $100 a week. And so people said to me, you know, maybe you should have some other kind of employment as well. And I was thinking of that. In fact, uh, I used to sub it at Faith Heritage, and I, I, uh, you know, I was offered a job there, but I really felt like the Lord had put it on my heart to do full-time ministry at the Onondaga Nation, even though it was only $100 a week, and to just trust him for everything else. And the Lord did bless us in so many ways. You know, we went and visited the school in that area, the, the uh, uh, public school, and we thought, we don't want our kids to go there. We wanted our children to go to Faith Heritage. And so we uh, went and enrolled our children there, and we had no money. <laughs> we had no idea. And we had an anonymous benefactor that paid their tuition every year. We never, never paid it, but it was an anonymous benefactor. We had people that brought us gifts, you know, at, at Christmas time, and, and, and we had no idea who they were. We'd, we, we'd go out, and the front porch would be full of gifts that people had brought to us. It was just such an amazing thing. But you think, well, see, look at how God is. But the fact is, there are times that we had to trust. When we went to the Onondaga Nation, I told you I came from the best paint. I had a really nice uh, Cougar XR7. You know, I don't know if you remember those, but that was our nice car. And then we had an old Nash Rambler. <laughs> and we were at the reservation. We weren't there very long. And the engine in my Cougar XR7 blew. And my insurance wouldn't cover it. And anyway, to make a long story short, we had to turn it in. And we thought, well, we still have the Rambler. And two weeks after the Cougar engine blew, the Rambler engine blew. We had no car. So what are we going to do? Well... I'll ride a bike to work. In fact, it was, uh, it's kind of funny when I look back on it. I didn't think it was funny at the time. But that was back in the days when a pastor went to work, he wore a suit. Did you know that? You wore a suit. So I had to ride a bike from our house in Nedro to the reservation. That's how I got to work. And I used to get on my bike with my suit, and I'd ride down the road, and the kids in the neighborhood would do that uh, song from the Wizard of Oz when the witch is riding her bicycle. <laughs> they would hum that to me when I rode by. <laughs> We had to take a bus to go different places. The point I'm getting at, because God is calling you to do something, because the Lord is leading you, it doesn't mean everything's going to be hunky-dory in the flesh, in, the, in this life. You might go through some struggles and some, uh, through some difficulties, but through trials, Scripture tells us we're expanded. In other words, we grow. And so when you have difficulties coming your way, what's wrong? Doesn't God love me? God isn't with me. God... Don't be that way. It might be the very thing the Lord is using, brothers and sisters, to encourage you and strengthen you in the Lord. It really might be. God is so good. You know, I look back on my life, and all I can do is say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's such a blessing. I mean, I have my son, who has the same name as me, preaching the next service. You know, I'm embarrassing him. Well, maybe not. <laughs> But you, you know what a blessing it is to me? I mean, I'm sitting here, and my son is ministering to me. He's ministering the word to me. And so with all the difficulties and trials we've had in life, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. 
Now, here's the thing. So many people want out of Egypt, but they don't want the faith and the, and the battle that it might take to enter into the promise that God has given them. They want out of Egypt, but boy, they don't want to face the battle of going into God's promise, going into his rest. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4 and go to verse 8. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. And I'm going to read verses 8 and 9. Hebrews 4, and I'm going to read verses 8 and 9. For if Joshua, Yeshua, Jehovah saves, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, that's who you are, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his work as God did from his. We must always remember it's him. It's not us. We're always trying to work and strive to do this and to do that and to have this and have that. Just enter his rest. Jesus does it all. Turn to Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. And I'm going to read verses 28 and 29. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, go to verse 28. Now this is Jesus during his earthly ministry speaking in Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And you know who labor and who are heavy laden? Everybody. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Wow. What a God. Come to me. Lean on me. Take my yoke upon you. Now, any, most of us don't even know what a yoke is, but a yoke was what they put on oxen that would pull carts along, and they were double. There were two yokes. And Jesus is yoked with us. He's our yoke mate. He's yoked with us. But you know what? He does all the work. All we do is just follow along. We just follow his lead wherever he's taking us. And he gives us rest. He gives us rest for our soul. We are so uptight about so many things. We're panicked about so many things. All that matters is your relationship with God. Now, if we only looked... At, in, in the verse that we just read, this portion of uh, Numbers, if we only looked at this portion of, um, of Numbers, we would think, well, it was the Lord's idea to send them into the promised land, right? It was the Lord's idea to send them in to spy out the land. That's what we think. We read this and say, yeah, it was the Lord's idea. But if we compare it to Deuteronomy, we find it wasn't the Lord's idea, to send them in to spy out the land. It was the Lord's idea for them to go in and take the land. And we find this in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 20. Then I said to you, you have uh, reached the whole country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possess, possession of it as the Lord, the God of your fathers, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So God's command was, go in and take it. I'm with you. 
And the people said, well, you know what? I think it might be a good idea to go in and spy out the land first and see what it's like and what kind of strongholds they have. What are they really saying? To see if we can take the land, to see if we're strong enough, if we have enough uh, soldiers to go in and take the land. That's what they were saying. That's unbelief. God said to them, you go in and take the land. I've given it to you. And so we find in this portion of Deuteronomy, if you take notes, it's Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 20 through 28. And by the way, the word Deuteronomy, which is the next book we're going to be covering, means the second law. It doesn't mean there's two laws. Moses is repeating the law of God. He's repeating his, you know, the teachings of God. See, we have to understand the Lord didn't need them to spy, to search out the land. He had already given it to them. But it was their unbelief that led to them wanting to spy out the land. We have to realize that we can fall into the same trap. Maybe the Lord has called you to do something. Maybe the Lord is laying something out before you. And you think, well, I've got to figure it out. I've got to work it out. I've got to make a plan. I've got to go in and spy it out. And see. No, no, no. If the Lord has called you to do something, go. If the Lord calls, he will supply If the Lord has called you to possess something, he has already won the victory for you. You don't have to win it. You don't have to figure it out. Just trust the Lord. It's so amazing to have a God that loves us this much. Because one of the things that's interesting as we read this portion, they go in and remember the report that they brought back. Pastor Frank Jr. will be getting into this the next service. The report they brought back, They brought back this report after being 40 days, uh, you know, spying out the land. They brought back the the report. It indeed is a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the report they brought back. Yeah, just like God said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. But, remember we talked about the big butts last week? But, there are people there that are way bigger than us. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. They were giants. And they brought back a bad report. And consequently, the children of Israel listened to the ten bad reports rather than the two good reports. And so God said, okay, now you're going to march in the wilderness for 40 years. And every fighting man, every man of fighting age will die before we enter into the land. There's only two who lived and entered into the land. And who were they? Joshua and Caleb. The two who believed. And when we get to that portion, when they come into the promised land, it's absolutely amazing because here you have Joshua and Caleb, and they're, they're in their 80s. And they go and they take out giants. <laughs> they go in, and they, you know, who are these old guys coming? <laughs> you know what I mean? So the point is, it makes no difference how old you are. This is to comfort me. But it makes no difference how old you are. The Lord is able to use you and give you the strength to do whatever he's calling you to do. It's absolutely amazing. And notice how specific the command was to go in, to do this, to do that. And the Lord wants to be very specific in our lives. He doesn't want us to figure it out or try to do it, but he'll be very specific in our lives in the way he prepares us and sets us up to do whatever he's calling us to do. Because you might be thinking, why is the Lord having me do this? Why is the Lord having me do that? Why is the Lord having me do this? Because he's very specific. And he's equipping you for the work of ministry that he's called you to. 
And so what a beautiful thing it is to just trust the Lord. Well, I don't know why this is happening. God does, and that's all that matters. And he's going to strengthen you and use, use you, and that's why he's doing all this. Now, <clears throat> how amazing they all witness how the Lord brought them out of Egypt, how he supplied the manna, the pillar of cloud by day, and the pillar of fire by night, and yet they doubted that God to take them into the land. I mean, how can we see the workings of God in our own personal life and have any doubt when it comes to difficult situations where he's calling us to? How can this happen? How can this be? Well, we just have to trust the Lord. Because they found the land that the Lord promised exactly like he said. But it was their unbelief that prevented them from entering in. So we have to realize it's never a matter of the Lord not keeping his promise. It's always a matter of our unwillingness to enter into that promise. You know, a promise from the Lord doesn't mean that there won't be any risks or any difficulties that you have to go through. You understand that? Well, God made the promise, so it's all going to be hunky-dory. No, no, no. God is going to equip you and train you, and it might be in ways you never imagined. And what God has called you to do might be very difficult. It might be very, very hard. But he will supply. You just put one foot in front of another and just enter in with him. You know, how many of God's promises are we missing out because of fear and because of our complaining and because of our grumbling? You know, the people asked for, for the, you know, it, the law itself wasn't wrong. The people asked for the law, but it wasn't their asking for the law that was the problem. You know what the people said? You go up and you talk to God and you find out what he wants us to do and we will do whatever he tells us to do. You know what they did at that point? They took themselves out from under grace and put themselves under the law. God didn't want them to do that. You know, the people cried out, we need something. God provides manna. It tasted like pastry. Hey, cake every day, that's okay. And, and, and it gave them every nutritional need they had. And you know what the people did? They cried out, we want meat. And so God sent, sent them quail. And while it was still between their teeth, a plague came on them because of their unbelief. And so we have to understand that so, so often people cry out for things and maybe it's not God's purpose or will to supply that. The thing is, is to not complain. Remember the children of Israel said, we want a king like every other nation. And remember what Samuel told them? You'll get your king, but here's what he's going to do to you. And you had some good kings like David, but most of the kings were bad and uh, were not good kings. So be careful what you cry out for, because maybe the Lord will give it to you in order to show you that it wasn't what he had for, in mind for you. He had something much better in mind for you. And how many of God's promises are we, are we missing out because of fear? How many promises of God are we missing out on because of fear? In Psalm 20, verse 7, here's what it says. It's a song we sing. I was, going to, I was hoping we could sing it today, but it, anyway. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And how would we apply that today? Some men trust in money, 
security, politics, health. But as for me, I'll trust in the name of the Lord. And so we have to realize God has made us promises a whole lot more rewarding than the trinkets of this world in this life. He's given us the promise of peace. In him, you will have perfect peace. That's what Scripture tells us. What would you rather have? Perfect peace? I mean, you you think of all these wealthy people, all these movie stars you read about, and what do you read about them? They have 25,000 wives and husbands, and, and, and they're running around, and, and they're, they're in you know, rehab, and they're, it's, just, it's just amazing. The highest suicide rate in the United States is among the top, 10 most success, or the top 10% most successful people. It's the highest suicide rate. Not that you don't have others. But the reality is people are asking for something that can't satisfy. You know, we have to teach our, our own heart to be content with whatever God has given us. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What has God given you? Be so thankful. Be so thankful. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we are thankful for all that you've given us. And I pray that you would give us the faith and the spirit to really trust in you and to not have fear and to know where you lead We only have to follow. We don't have to worry about fighting the battles. We put that in your hand. The battle is the Lord's. And now, Father, I pray that you would take the portion that we studied this morning and help us apply it to our heart and lives, I ask in Christ's name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.